Welcome to Shark Bite Biz Live. This is our very first and extremely special live stream show of the event. I'm not alone, though. I got a co-host and previous guest from the Shark Bite Biz show here with me today. Who's my co-host? You're probably wondering. Well, it's Odeta Pied. Here she is. Odeta, say hi. Hi, David. Hi. Thank you for having me today. Um, this is our second show together, except that I'm the yes. co-host today. So I'm super second show together, it. but first live stream. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I am thrilled to have you join the show with me. So just be, you know, there might be one or two people out there that did not see your episode on Shark Bite Biz. So do us a favor real quick. Why don't you tell for all those people out there wondering who the heck is that data? Tell us who you are real quick. Yes, yeah, so I am the founder and the CEO of G7 Tech Services, uh, which is a professional services and software company out of um, New Braunfels, Texas, actually. Um, and we specialize and help companies grow, um, and we love uh, what we call data and make the best decisions for you know the best business uh, growth. Wow, that's amazing. Everybody loves data. It's really these days when you get into the roaring 20s, I mean, that is what helps businesses not only survive, but thrive in these days. And being able to get that raw data to turn into beautiful business intelligence is really critical for growth. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent, David, right there with you. So, okay, well, great stuff, amazing stuff with data. Like I was saying earlier, we do have an amazing show set up for us all tonight. Uh, you know, this show is not going to be a traditional Shark Bite Biz episode, unlike the podcast. You got to remember, the podcast is set up where I bring you the best experts in a field, and we just have a structured but unstructured kind of see where it goes conversation. This live stream is different. This is going to be talking about the business and tech news of the day. Today, we have some amazing topics out there. We're going to be covering things like the recession, inflation, and all the drama between Elon Musk and Twitter. And we have a very special interview lined up within this live stream broadcast with Scott Jennings, the chief revenue officer at Centage Corp. First, though, I've got to go through, I've got to do some housekeeping. Let's give a special thanks, a special shout out to both of our main sponsors for tonight's episode, Vision 33 and also G7 Tech Services. Would not be possible without the help, love, and support of both of those companies. Please go check them out. Uh, you know, Basically, both companies have made this possible, but we also can't forget Shark Bite Biz's own coffee brand, DeadHouseCoffee.com. Coffee that is roasted, sealed, and shipped to your doorstep within a 24-hour period. And we have a special promo for tonight, okay? Use code 25NOW. That's 25NOW. And you're going to get 25% off your fresh coffee order. And it's going to help us keep doing all this amazing rocking stuff that we're doing like this live stream tonight. So again, you know, 
thank you, Vision33, G7 Tech Services, DeadHouseCoffee.com. Very, very grateful that we're able to do this. And one last item of note, Super Chats. If you're watching us on YouTube, at the end of this show, you'll have Odeta, you'll have myself, and you'll have Scott Jennings all out there answering your questions, your comments, your concerns, or complaints. If you want to complain, go ahead, do a super chat, complain about us. I'd love to hear it. We're here live. We're going to rock it out. So with that in mind, let's get down to today's first topic. Oh, Data, I got to ask you, Hi. what do you have on your plate? <laughs> well, we'll start the, with the most talked topic, which is the recession, right? Uh, we see lots of news out there. Lots of comments, lots of thoughts, opinions, and all of that. So I want to, given that I'm a data-driven company, you know, I like to go through the facts, right? But before I get into the meat of it, I want to kind of teach and educate a little bit about the recession, the audience, right? So when we talk about recession, uh, what do we talk about, right? And I'm going to share my screen here um, so that I can show you some of this data and analytics, Um I'm hoping you guys can see my screen here. Um, so one of the articles I wanted to bring up, right, about recession, what is it, right? Uh, based on the National Bureau of Economic Research, um, the, you know, recession is a period between a peak of economic activity and its subsequent troughs, right, or lowest point. And anything between the trough or the peak, we call it an expansion. So the expansion is the normal state of the economy, and that's where we should be, right? And then most of these recessions are brief. So what's happening today, right? We're in the 21st century, and we have seen quite a few recessions, right? We saw the dot-com bust from 2000 to 2001, which lasted about a year or so. Then we saw the big housing market, right, um, in 2008. And then we saw the most recent one in 2020, which we all know about, which was the pandemic or the COVID uh, recession, which was one of the shortest recessions dated for the 21st century. And now we're kind of seeing another recession, right? Um, and everyone is so afraid of what's going to happen. So the question is, are we currently in a real recession or no? And if so, how bad will it get, right? And what should we expect in the next few months, in the next year, a couple of years to come, right? Well, if we look and do a deep dive at the data, right, from, and this is from the, um, you know, Bureau uh, Economic <clears throat> website, and, you know, the way a recession is defined is, you know, having negative, one of the metrics they look at is having a negative GDP um, number, right? So, and when we're talking about GDP, we're talking about the real gross domestic product, right? So if we look here at this chart, right, from 2018 all the way to Q1 2022, Q2 is coming up, um, and then there's an estimate about, you know, uh, the Q3 in 2022. So if you look at this, you will see here that we had a big dip, um, obviously, during the pandemic here, right? It was a negative growth. And then kind of the economy came up, um, you know, we kind of ran into this demand supply chain issues, right? And now in Q1, close Q1, we saw a decrease of 1.6, right? And they're expecting to have a Q2 a decrease of 2.1% as well as a, a Q3 decrease, right? But the question is, is this 
enough, right, um, to look and then kind of say that, hey, we are in a real recession. Well, if you look at the other measures, right, and we're talking here about the personal income, right? So if you look at the personal income, if we looked at the disposable income, if we look at the sales or the revenue numbers, you know, the company, if you look at the industrial production, all of these have gone up, right? So are we in a real recession or are we in a technical work run, right? According to all of the metrics that we've seen, GDP with a negative growth, but also positive growth on personal income, you know, corporate profits and so on and so forth, I'd say that uh, we're not in a real recession yet. But um, anything can change and anything will change drastically. And I truly do believe that um, we will not see a recession, a big one uh, this year, but definitely in 2023 and uh, 2022 for 2024 for sure. Um, so that's kind of, you know, um, a little bit of this numbers that we're looking at. Right. And, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve. Is a, is a big conversation right now, right? Uh, what are they going to do about this? And, you know, as Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, mentioned in June, he said, you know, we should be able to control this, right? And how will we control this is by, you know, increasing this interest rate, which we have seen a huge increase in the interest rate, Right. And also, which this kind of brings us to the next um, step here uh, or, or topic, it's the, the inflation, right? So there's got to be some price stability um, and control so that we don't see quite a big dip recession, um, you know, coming up uh, for, for, for the U.S. Um, so, David, um, what do you think about all these issues? So I think there's a, you know, very interesting case that you kind of laid out there with the recession. And the first thing I was actually writing notes there when you were saying, David, what do you think about this? Uh, because <laughs> you triggered something in my mind. And for people that know uh, Shark Pipe is that have watched many of her episodes. We just had last, I believe it was last season, we had Evan Sohn. He is the CEO of Recruiter.com. He's also a CNBC analyst. And he ends up, you know, going on there every month when they do the jobs report. You know what I'm talking about? He comes on and he gives those job numbers. What's interesting to me is that uh, Recruiter.com kind of defines himself as a data company. They're scouring, you know, the whole internet, finding out information, and they're bringing all this data into one place and basically using AI and BI and all those fancy acronyms to pull out some reasoning. And he was telling us on the show, the great resignation, which I think ties into this, the great resignation will end by all his economic indicators by fall. Now, you've got to remember, this episode came out a couple months ago, and I think he was kind of spot on because that great resignation seems like it's kind of lining up nicely with, uh, you know, with for lack of a better term, right now, with right. a re potential recession, no? Yes, I mean, absolutely, 100%. Um, agreed right there. 
I mean, I think you also did bring up a lot of good points about the recession. I do think it's it's hard. You know, you, you look at the line of work that we do. Okay, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but you probably have. Um, you know, when hard times come, budgets for tech and new systems and stuff like that is usually one of the first that kind of get squashed or minimized. You know, they get canned right away. It's, you know, the customers are coming, I guess, more conservative with cash flow and what they're spending money on. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that customers aren't spending money. You know, customers being that we both work in the B2B sector, um, businesses are still spending money, but they're doing it as far as, I guess you could say, you piecemealing it. Like they're doing a little bit at a time instead of buying the whole pie and doing it all. Now they're doing, you know, let's do a phased approach or, you know what, do I really need 50 users now? We can probably only use 10 or 15 users for implementation. And then closer to go live, we're going to go add the other 35 or 40 users. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that just because a lot of businesses don't know what to expect. Have you seen that at all during, you know, with your business yet? Yes, yes, absolutely, 100%. And I think, you know, my business, our business is, is uh, it's a services company, right, a software company. And, you know, most of the de- most of these deals go through online nowadays, right? Uh, you right. can't, you don't see people and that makes it a little bit difficult. And also, you know, the recession, right, because we're talking about that. Um, we've seen a lot of, you know, companies, even some of, you know, the big ones out there, where, like you said, they kind of restrict themselves. They want to test it out. They do a trial run, mm-hmm. right? How right. does this, how is this going to run, right? Let's get a couple of users, which is the business, uh, users, proof of business users, proof of concept, and the pilot, right? Uh, the proof right. of concept kind of dives into that pilot that they can use for a certain amount of time. And then you either get the green light to go ahead and, you know, get it done because it does work. The pilot is working great. Or you just get the red light and it shuts down. So, you know, speaking about this recession and how it has affected also, you know, my business uh, or kind of the same business as a tech is that people are becoming more stingy, right? <laughs> In a way that they're they're saving their money and they're making – Oh yeah more better, more thoughtful decisions rather than just, you know, kind of writing a check, Um, which what this means is that it's taking longer to close the deals. So this is longer, longer sales cycles and also more more resources. The proof of concept is almost extending the sales cycle because you know, you, you yeah, you're implementing services, you're you're doing a project or whatever, but because you're in proof of concept mode, it's basically a paid sales engagement, and they're really exactly. holding a stick and a carrot in front of you, and you have to perform every step of the way, and then also cross your fingers that the economy goes the way that you're looking for. Exactly. And, you know, one of the metrics that I mentioned earlier was the the sales increase, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we have a positive sales increase, right? But when you look at all of this, right? Yes, I did sign the deal, but it took me, you know, six to 12 months to sign the deal or six to 18 Mm -hmm. months to sign the deal. So if you kind of spread that out, you know, it's kind of, hey, you know, yes, it's going up, but it's taking longer and also more resources. So you kind of got that balancing effect here between, you know, revenue and sales you're making versus the cost that it's taking you to do that and the time, uh, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, totally makes sense. And I think I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn here with my viewpoints on the recession itself. And I, I don't know how you'll feel about this, but this is what I, what I think. And I'd love your feedback on it as well, too. But I really view this recession or recession that, that that's coming. It seems like most of the experts are saying right now that it is coming. It was trending on Twitter earlier today, for example. Uh, I view this as a manufactured, okay, a manufactured recession. And if you didn't see, I put manufactured in quotes. And the reason that I put it in quotes is because, come on. Look, if you close down the world's economy, okay, how is supply supposed to keep up with demand, okay? There's a lot of people that want to go out and buy things, whether it's cars, but the cars don't have the features or they don't have the chips to make touchscreens inside the cars. So like with us, we didn't buy a car now. We ended up just buying our leased vehicle because our 2019 leased vehicle when the lease ended was still better than what we were able to find out there in the market. And exactly. I think that the, the demand is there. But I mean, all those experts out there that work for our wonderful, wonderful government, I mean, th this should have been predictable because, again, if you close every thing down during the pandemic all those manufacturing centers not just in the united states i mean we're talking china asia europe africa this is a global, you know, a global, a global. Yeah. it's a global thing now if it was if it was centered like okay just the united states is shutting down just china shut it down or just this country or that country would we feel it globally yeah but it would be probably more of a speed bump than a potential full-blown recession. recession. And I, I think that's where I, I kind of lie, okay? I, I don't know if once supply catches up to demand, will we be fully out of the, the recession? Is it going to end? Or if it takes a long time for supply to catch up with demand, are we going to go into full-blown recession? And that's essentially what I really fear. Yes, um, you know, my thoughts on all of this is we are not in a real recession, right? We're in a technical one, like you said, or manufactured one, right? Uh, will we hit one? Yes. Will it be really bad? I don't think so. Is there a lot of unknown? Absolutely. Because we ha you have to think outside of just the U.S., right, David? Um, mm -hmm. This is a global, global, global issue. And there is a lot of topics out there and issues that are unresolved, right, uh, that are not happening in the U.S. They're happening outside. And if you think about the goods, right, we're talking about globally. Right. This is a whole mm -hmm. market globally. It's not just the U.S. So, yes, I definitely. I that's one of the, the bad things about globalization, I think. Sorry. I think that's one of the bad right. things about the globalization is because the world is, and I'm not against globalization. Don't, don't take it to that extreme. What I'm just saying right. is, is because we're so dependent upon other countries for other things. And a lot of countries are dependent upon us for certain things that once that's removed, I mean, you run into major issues. That's stuff. Uh, I agree. I agree there with you, David, hundred percent. So yeah, that's that's great. What do you think? You think so, you're ready to move on to the next yes. topic? 
<laughs> no, I think I want to, I want because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering here, we talked about the data, we talked about GDP, we talked about personal income, disposable, all of this, right? Um, what are some of the four tips that, um, you know, people should kind of think about during this hard times, right, or expected hard times to come? Um, what are your thoughts on that data? And then we'll chip in and we'll make this a conversation. So, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So I have my own personal tips. I know you have some tips as well. Too. I mean, I'm kind of the person where if you can afford it as far as the market, stuff like that, when it's low, uh, it eventually will bounce back up. So I think it's a, a good time. I remember I'm not a financial advisor, so you, I've got to get that uh, <laughs> disclosure out there. But as far as crypto, as far as stock market, I mean, I, I do think the future is it will eventually rebound. How long is it? Have we seen the bottom yet? I don't know. I think that is really the piece to be determined. But I mean, I think it comes back to kind of like what we were talking about earlier. If you look in the B2B market, that people are being conservative as far as their purchases, their expenses, their headcounts. I mean, in May, I believe it was, um, we can, uh, you know, you should easily be able to fact check this, but in May, it was the biggest layoffs that the tech industry has ever had. You know, they have more rescinded offers than ever before. And it's because they're being conservative, not knowing exactly. I mean, it's almost like when we first got into COVID, nobody knew what was going to go. Like, well, they were like, okay, flatten the curve two weeks. You do that. Then after that, it's still like, uh, you know, it's still murky out here. And that's really where businesses ended up getting conservative. And I think that there's a model there that people can follow. Okay, there's a model that people can follow that, okay, the, the, this is kind of what businesses are doing. And you should look at your your home, you know, almost like a business, you know, P&L, the profit and loss, you know, your budget, all those types of things and manage it as stuff. And I feel that probably, you know, being more conservative with your purchases, with your expenses, how you live your life now and probably building a nest egg if you can or make the necessary cutbacks. Because again, we don't know if this is the bottom or if it's going to get much worse than here. So that's my biggest piece of advice. And if you have the luxury of having extra cash, I'd probably be investing it. I don't have that luxury, so we're on conserve mode. But what about you? I know that you had a, a really good bullet point list of a lot of ideas. Odeta, I think your mic has cut out. Yeah. I am not here. Yes. Uh, Francisco, Francisco is our producer. He has said that uh, definitely your mic has cut out. But if you, if you want, I'll cover your bullet point list. Oh, there you are. You're back. You're back. See, hey, live show production. First off, hey, before you get into your bullet point list, Adeta, I've got to announce right now, we're up to 337 live viewers watching Shark Bite Fizz's first ever live stream. So that is amazing. And I'll announce right now, remember, get those super chats out there on YouTube. At the end of the show, Adeta, myself, and our very special guest, Scott, Johnson, uh, Scott Jennings, will be reading all of the super chats. So let's get back to Adeta. Tell us your list that you were about to say. Yes, right about when I 
cut off somehow. I don't know why, but <laughs> sorry about that, guys. You were talking about cash reserves, right? Uh, which is one right. of my favorite, favorite topics. Um, not only just around this time, but also, you know, for businesses, you know, the whole cash flow projection, right? And you mentioned layoffs as well. So when you talk about the layoffs, uh, you know, it's interesting because during COVID, a lot of, when there were a lot of layoffs, people struggled, right? And one of the main reasons why they did was because they didn't have the cash available right away. So one of my tips that I want to, you know, tell people out there is, Make sure your cash reserves are somehow there to be able to support yourself at least two to four months, um, depending on what all of your you know bills are, expenses, and all of that stuff. Cash is king, as I as I as, as we say in Albania. Cash <laughs> is gold. king. I love yeah. that. <laughs> so um, you know, I think that is a, a really good tip uh, from my side. The other thing too is um, your budget evaluations. Right, uh, try to get rid of your not necessary not not your non-essentials right all of the extra subscriptions that we sign up and we'll forget about it and then it just kind of adds up on top of what you have and i'm sure everyone has a lot of non-essentials there so kind of do an audit of that and you know and then kind of see where where you guys are with that right and another tip that i also have is which is very important is be innovative right um and just tell world about innovation and be innovative with your sources of income diversify your source of income, which is, which means get some extra jobs, right? Now we all work remote. Um, and it is so easy to put yourself out, out there and diversify this, uh, you know, uh, source of income. And also oh, yeah. one of the most important things as well is uh, consume the news very careful. And I call this, mm -hmm. I always tell people, put your oxygen mask on because mm -hmm. A lot of this news that you watch every day, it's lots of panicking, some brainwashing, and just kind of pick and choose the right news to look at and uh, and the right people to be surrounded with, right? That are are you trying to say me. that that you cannot trust mainstream media? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, David, right. You just think you can't keep digging in there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just bluntly say it, but no, I think your 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 yes. points are absolutely valid. And you know, I go through what I call droughts, where I purposely ignore media, and I won't go. Uh, you know, I just won't watch news or uh, tech news. I will, but outside of that, I don't listen or watch anything. I might do it for a week or two. Why? Because negative news gets to clicks, it gets to headlines, yes. and it's like, why do you need all that negativity all the time? You know, take a step back and just kind of think for yourself. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Use your own mind to make the right decisions. <laughs> yep, yep. Awesome. So, as far as our next topic, are we ready to jump into that? Absolutely. One of my other favorites, too, as a matter of oh, fact. Oh, yeah. This, this <laughs> is a fun, fun topic here. So as we as we like doing what we're going to do, just kind of lay down uh, some statistics here to get my mouse cooperate with me. But I brought this up. Inflation surges to 9.1% percent in june which is you know they expected a decline 8.8 but it went all the way up to 9.1 percent uh which which is huge and you know and i think that's a part of 
inflation and the economy kind of, you know, or the recession, you know, kind of go together, but not necessarily. And I'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, inflation is even crushing rural America where you would think traditionally, oh, well, if you're not in New York City, you know, it's going to be cheaper in the rural areas. Not true. I mean, here's a, a wonderful article from NPR that's talking about how the, you know, rural America is actually suffering and having to end up, uh, you know, going to the cities as far as hiring payer jobs or even just to do some purchases for items because they're not able to get it where they're at. It's not making it out there. And uh, yeah, excuse uh the ads. We all know how much media likes the ads. And then we get into, like I did, I was just saying a minute ago, you know, the Fed has, you know, ended up uh, raising interest points. They're talking about potentially more raises in the interest rates. And that is really like a negative thing as far as the hot housing market goes. Why? Well, because now as they're raising the interest rates, I mean, that means mortgages are going to be much more expensive. Not a good thing for that whole housing sector altogether. Although, who knows, maybe it ends up kind of balancing out as far as trying to get the housing market to where it's more affordable again. We'll see. I mean, time will tell on that one. Uh, you know, it, inflation, again, as we were just talking about a couple minutes ago, okay, this is a global market. We're in a global economy, essentially, right now, you know, with so many countries that have closed down due to this pandemic, everybody is feeling inflation. Now, the inflation levels around the world are all, you know, they're different depending what country you're in, how big it is, how strong lockdowns were, stuff like that. But I, I saw this today when I was doing some some research and I was like, wow, um, that's a that's a move I, I wish that our government would do again one day. We used to have it with the gold reserve, but we don't anymore. And for those that are listening, not watching, the title from the Washington Post article is Zimbabwe goes for the gold coin, that is, to fight high inflation. And they're basically going with new one ounce gold coins that go on sale as the country's confidence, people's confidence in the Zimbabwe currency. It's plummeting. So they're trying to balance that out with actual literal gold one ounce coins to have people believe in the, the, you know, the currency system out there as well, too. Now, I started off this little new segment here with inflation being at the record high 9.1%, but I did want to show you as far as the 10-year inflation average, and I'll, I'll pick up the 30-year the one here in one second, you can see 1.5% it was back in 2013. You know, 0.76 in 2014, 0 0.73, 2015, you know, 2016 to 2019, we've had some growth, but it was still 2.29%. 2020, 
uh, it was down, believe it or not. That actually surprised me when I looked at inflation in 2020. And I think that's because we still had a full supply of products, production, all that stuff going in so that once the pandemic hit, yes, there was a lot of people that were panic shopping and all that good stuff and things got temporarily sold out or hard to get, but we were eventually able to get it. And you had both both aspects of it with supply and demand. And then in 2021, that's where it really ends up uh, going up. Uh, not showing, but I believe it was eight something percent when I had looked earlier. And then you're at uh, uh, 2022, which in 2022, now you can remember it was 9.1 percent in June, but year to date, we're at 6.28 percent. Now there's still a lot of 2022 to go, which, you know, that could be good, that could be bad, uh, depending how you look at it. So that could go up, that could be lower, but um, you know, halfway through the year, we're pretty, pretty close. And just to kind of give you a visual difference, last 30 years, you could see 2021 and 2022 are almost double what the previous um, inflation was over the last 30 years, which was 4.08% back in 2007. Um, so a huge drastic difference over that whole time. So let me get this off the screen here. And, you know, I do want to say first, there is a difference between recession and inflation. That's why we separated them. Okay. One is growth in prices. The other is reduction in economic output. In my opinion, again, both are due to the pandemic. 9.1% inflation in June. People are feeling it. And it's, you know, not just families that make under a hundred thousand, like if they make fifty, forty, sixty thousand dollars. I mean, there's families that live in urban cities that make two to three hundred thousand dollars and that live in those more expensive areas. I mean, they're still having to make cuts and purchases. So it, it, it's a very tough time period out there. I think for most people. Uh, you know, again, depending on your situation, it's affecting all walks of life, you know, savings, stock market. I mean, it's everywhere. A lot of people with their 401ks, I mean, you could be down year to date 10, 20, 30, 40 percent or more. And in reality, I view it that prices are just going up because we are in such short supply of goods. Ultimately, the problem comes down to printing money. And that happened during this whole COVID crisis. They just turned on the printers and just kept printing, printing, printing. You know, and this goes with both administrations that have been in office during this crisis. It's not one or the other. Both have pretty much had almost the same strategy, except for one here or there. And it also has to do with wages or not staying, you know, in par with inflation, which is making, I mean, 
like for example, I went grocery shopping with my wife yesterday, <laughs> and it's the first time I've done it in a minute. I'll admit I'm not a avid grocery shopper for the household. I usually just do it from an app and get it delivered to the house. But when I was looking at some of these prices, I'm like, you know, a T-bone steak, like this is not like Wagyu beef or something like that. And it was like 20, 22 bucks. And I'm like, holy cow, it's a piece of meat that's like six inches long. Like I remember where those things were, you know, closer to $10 or under than $20. And it, well, it kind of just really worries me that prices are going to keep going up for basic things, whether it's food, milk, eggs, gas. I mean, yes, we have had some relief at the gas pump as of late. I think uh, maybe 20, 30 cents per gallon. It's gone down. But, you know, it, it's been really hard. And I, I don't know, unless you're super rich, you know, like a Jeff Bezos or somebody at that level, I think for uh, the other 99%, you have been impacted in some way, shape, or form because of this. So a data, I just went over a lot of data, showing some historical data, how even people in rural America are having to go to cities for either jobs or supplies because they can't get it in there, how it's hurting the housing market. Uh, Zimbabwe coming up with gold coins with gold. because they lost confidence in their own currency because they just kept printing money, it looks like. I mean, what's your take on this type of stuff? Yeah, so David, I think, um, you know, we're we're seeing this everywhere, right? And I'm seeing this uh, in my own household uh, as well in the business, right? I mean, mm -hmm. talking about energy prices, right? And we do work with, um, you know, oil and gas companies, right? And you can see from, from there, I mean, the crude oil has gone up, right? Um, and, you know, companies are forced to produce more gas, um, you know, products that they ever have, which is more expensive for them to do, right? Therefore, you see this high increase. And, you know, for people who have to go into the office, I mean, I understand that, um, you know, we are set up most of the companies for remote work, but there's also companies, like you said, on farms and all this that they need to drive. They need to use gas to get to places, right? Um, and a lot of companies, what we're seeing here, including myself, is that they're giving, um, you know, gas reimbursement, right? We're giving some extra cash, um, you know, for that to be able that this, you know, this, this employees and people are able to, um, to come in, for example, right? And not Monday through Friday, but let's say, you know, two days out of the week or three days out of the week where they want to be with their team and kind of be in person there, right? So um, the grocery part, I mean, the, it is crazy to talk about the formula. I mean, the prices are up in the right. formula, formula or the milk. I mean, have you, I, I'm a mother what about myself. The 20, 20, have, what, what, Oh yeah, you have an infant, so yeah. Well, yes, yeah, and I was I was lucky. Uh, yeah, I was lucky enough. You know, I nursed for a long time, but and it was right where you know the formula. I could I couldn't find some of the formulas, and then it kind of progressed into high price, and you can't find anything, right? Um, so think about all the moms out there and all this kit. I mean, what what are we doing, right? Are we going back to the old age? I mm -hmm. remember in Albania. I mean, my parents didn't have formula. You know, for example. My sister, you know, my parents were, were giving, you know, regular cow milk. Are we going to go there? What's happening with this? So this is kind we of like We should probably crazy. clarify that because you said <laughs> back in Albania, for those that don't know, you are an immigrant oh, from right. Albania. 
So, uh, you know, that that's what Odeta is referring to. But yeah, go ahead. Yep. Taking back into memory lane, right? Are we going backwards or <laughs> what, what's happening here with all this crisis? That's kind of my point. You know, and also, you know, you mentioned um, actually 401ks, right? Um, mm-hmm. I want to kind of bring that up because what is what is your um what are your thoughts on that? Should people be panicked about their 401ks and taking the money out? Or should they, you know, be living in where it is and investing more? What are your thoughts on that? Again, it, this kind of goes back to what we were discussing during our super chat. Okay. Um, not the super chat, but during the recession. You know, when we were talking about the recession, it really came down to do you have the extra money? I think if you do, it, again, you nor I, we're not financial advisors, but if you have the extra money, I think it could be safe to buy. I know, for example, here's my personal story. When when the market crashed immediately after we went into the pandemic, what did I end up doing? I ended up buying stocks. And I was looking at ones that would drop down, but had a very, very, very good chance of bouncing back relatively quickly, you know, within a few months or something like that, a year, once we get out of the pandemic or things stabilized. And for me, it worked. I made some extra money doing it that way. So you can view it like that. I mean, if we're not at the bottom, chances are you may be getting it at a discount, but you have to watch out because if we do go into a full-blown recession, guess what? You invest into the wrong company because you think, oh, wow, they were worth 50 bucks. Their stock, because of the recession, is down to $3 a share. And you right, buy right. a couple of thousand dollars, they go out of business. You know, you're squat out of luck. So you also have to do your research, be educated, and know who you're investing in. I feel with a 401k, because most people have those managed by financial firms, it kind of gives you a little bit of a safety net there. So if you're throwing it into that, I think you might be better uh, with the higher investment now than if you were out there, you know, just being a lone wolf investing on your own, a a retail buyer yourself. But I I think there's a couple different paths there that you could, you could go. Are you investing now? Uh, yes and no, yes and no, right? Um, but I do Same think here. that the yeah, I do think that the you know keeping the money. Do, do, I think that you know don't get panicked about the four hundred one k's, right? And my recommendation on that would be just don't look at it. Don't log in and look at it right now. Um, should right. you be buying? Um, I truly do believe in times like this, if you do have the cash reserves and the money. Yes, always be buying because the investments that you made during this times where everything is low, eventually in the future after everything comes out, right? Let's say we the recession, we come out of it 2020, 24, I don't know when, right? Well, you know, we'll see how that happens, but you will get a lot of value added to your portfolio at that point in time um, in the future. So uh, do not get panicked. Yeah. Uh, don't I, look I into your 401ks. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I essentially uh, I agree with that. But let's get back to the fundamental problem of inflation, okay? And with that, it is, again, because we've been printing so much money and giving it out almost everywhere it's going out to, except for the, you know, the Americans that actually need it. I mean, yeah, they got formula out to people eventually when we were essentially out of formula, but it took, you know, our government, I think way, way, way too long to act on something that they could have done a few weeks earlier, especially because I believe I I saw news reports uh, that I believe February is when they first were alerted that there may be a formula shortage and stuff like that. And instead of trying to prevent it, they waited they until it, it escalated and, you know, they, they did it after the fact instead of getting ahead of it. And that's what drives me nuts about America anymore. It seems like instead of being proactive with so many things, we're getting, you know, we're reactive. And until we get our budget straightened out, until we stop printing money like crazy, you know, I, I don't think it's going to get fixed. I don't see any other solution. I, I agree 100% with you. I think it's time to make some decisions there and they need to be made quick uh, because, again, you cannot be printing money. The Federal Reserve, I mean, how much can they keep, you know, increasing the interest rates, right, to kind of cut down the, you know, the expenditures and people spending and all that, well, I I mean, think how, they're, you know, they're, to, co- to control the I labor market. I think they're market. increasing the interest rate so that they can buy more money printing machines. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> good point there good point there good yeah, point there <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so anyways uh you know this was great it's something that i think is hitting people at home hey you know we did have over 400 people watch it at what point i would love uh get those super chats out get those super chats in. we're going to be going over all the chats at the end of this episode get it out now uh but let's jump into our next next topic and uh this one's a fun <laughs> one I yes, think you're gonna especially love it for especially for you and I, David, right? And, and yeah. everyone here that is, you know, tech related and it's a Twitter, Twitter user, right? <laughs> so we talked a little bit um, about, you know, the, the, we talked about the recession. We talked about the inflation and, you know, the stock market and the 401ks, which I think, um, you know, kind of ties also into with, Elon Musk and his latest, uh, you know, acquisition of $44 million for, you know, for Twitter, right? So I can let me share my screen a little bit here to share, um, you know, some of some interesting facts here. So first of all, right, um, who is Elon Musk? Um, I'm sure Elon Musk, um, I'm sure you guys know about Elon Musk, right? If you've ever heard on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, or, you know, newspaper, I mean, everywhere. Everyone is talking about him. He is the CEO of Tesla, um, the SpaceX company. Uh, he was the co-founder of the, the PayPal company. Uh, he's always been a big early investor. And he is the richest, richest, you know, guy in on Earth worth $220 billion, right? So he... <laughs> 
he, the latest acquisition uh, for him is Twitter, right? So a little bit of the history here with Twitter. So in April 2022, back in April, he, you know, disclosed a 9.2% stake um, in Twitter, right? Then Twitter kind of replied to that and he said, hey, by the way, Yohan, um, why don't you get a seat on the board, right? Which he kind of accepted um, before declining days letter, then, right? And then he goes about and buys Twitter for $44 billion. And then on July 8th, he kind of abandons that, right? Declaring, or I guess the, the, the reason why he said that, um, you know, he's kind of coming back on that is because of the 5% of the spam accounts, right, of the overall um, total users. And now we have a big mess where, you know, Twitter is um, suing Musk um, and the trial is moved to happen in October, right? So it's very interesting. And, you know, I always ask this question, well, why, why did Elon Musk decide to buy Twitter, right? So if you look at the TechCrunch um, article here, obviously based word word per word uh, from Elon's mouth, he says that, you know, he bought it because of the freedom of speech and um, inclusivity, you know, and um, this is, um, you know, he wanted to promote free and open switch through Twitter, right? Some people say that he bought it because of the Babylon Bee, right, who is the biggest, um, you know, company out there that got banned pretty much, um, you know, from Twitter. And as some of this article says here, you know, he uh, he literally called uh, the CEO and said, hey, you know, you're still banned. And then he went on and, you know, kind of uh, offered the, the, the $44 billion uh, offer to, to Twitter, right? And then he backs out, right? So why, why did he backs out? Well, there's a lot of questions out there, right? And uh, one of this... Um, you know, uh, thoughts or, or opinions is that he backs out of the Twitter deal after realizing that he can read the Babylon Bee by going directly to their website. And this came out on July, you know, 8th, um, like earlier here. And is that, I mean, is that true? Um, what, you know, what do we think about that, right, David? Um, how do we, so David, I will take it back to you here real quick. Uh, what are your thoughts um, on this whole, you know, Twitter deal history so far? And then we'll, we'll kind of go a little bit uh, down and we'll see what we do predict on this deal either happening or not happening. Okay, so here, I, I've got to give a shout out. I'm a big fan of Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. And the other week, um, Sagar came out with an excellent, excellent point, okay? And I don't know, maybe I just have an innocent take on this, but I really think that he wanted to make a difference and change today's social square, as we call Twitter, the public forum of today. You know, even Jack Dorsey, from what I understand, was pushing Elon behind the scenes. And now that Jack's off the board and doesn't have a duty to Twitter to represent him bad, you know, represent that him uh, Twitter good, he's come out now and he's actually said that as, you know, alluding to that, that he was pushing towards it, that he wants Elon to buy it, to fix Twitter. So I think 
the challenge is twofold here. I think there's two points. And this circles back to what I was saying about breaking points with uh, Crystal and, and Sager. And that's that uh, Elon Musk, according to him, is a free speech absolutist. Okay. And I think after a couple minutes there, after he tried to buy Twitter and, and started maybe researching it, probably realized like, oh, wait, I can really only make free speech in the United States because in the Middle East, Europe, a bunch of Asian countries you like can China. Globally, you can globally right. do that because they're you all cannot so different. Globally, right. Or the business will simply be shut down and banned by the, the Great Firewall in China, for example. So they won't allow him to make the differences that he desires. He'd only really be able to make an impact here in the United States. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? <laughs> don't get me wrong. I think changing Twitter here in the United States would be the absolute best for us but it will not have the global impact in those regards that i think elon musk was looking to try to get you know so he's still bound by those tough speech restrictions of so many countries now as i said earlier it's twofold the other point is the bots okay anybody that uses twitter knows that it is absolutely full of bots. How is it the last three years of Twitter's quarterly financials shows that each quarter, less than 5% bots, never has been 6%, never even 2%. Never 40%. They all read the same, under 5%. I mean, you have accounts with hundreds Hundreds. of thousands of followers, if not even millions of of followers, and they tweet, and they're lucky if they get one retweet or one like. Why? They're all followed by bots. Bots. So that's my two two sets on this issue. So what do you think about that? I think I just gave you a bone to chew on. Well, yes, and you know, here's what's what's interesting to me is he, you know, he owns Tesla. He's the CEO of Tesla, right? And you know, right. speaking about China and freedom of speech and all that, right? I mean, doesn't he think like how is that going to affect <laughs> his business mm-hmm. in, in in China and you know specifically Tesla, who we have seen quite a drop, as a matter of fact, with all this craziness going on about you know Twitter. And all of that. And it's not about, you know, mm-hmm. Tesla, the, the stocks, but it's also about the Twitter stock, right? Because we we have seen it is hurting Twitter bad right now, where you know the shares are their share price is going down, right? Um, and this is part yeah. of the reason why they um, they kind of asked to bring the you know the trial earlier. They asked, I think, for September, but then they kind of ended then they couldn't do that and they kind of ended up on you know, doing it in October, right? And not to mention that he's lost well, about was what, Elon $33 Musk million dollars that was trying, now? Yeah, it was Elon Musk that was trying to push it to October. And right. that's where Twitter got a kind of win. And the judge gave them their speedy trial for October. October, right, right. Yeah. But you got to think. Does Twitter really want this to go to trial? Do they really want the dirty laundry of, oh, yeah, by the way, we've been lying to investors since we've gone public. And uh, yeah, we have a little bit more than 5% bots in the system. Do you buy the 5% bot thing? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is that a hard no? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, and no, right? Um, you know, I'm not. There's, there's lots of articles out there. There's lots of, you know, facts and data. But you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't think Twitter would want to get in the nitty gritty deep details of this, right? And as I mean, mm -hmm. as we know, um, Twitter is not the best social media platform out there, right? They're one at the bottom with lots and lots of issues, starting from their algorithms to, uh, you know, a lot more, right? From a developing mm -hmm. perspective and on protocols and coding and all that stuff. So, you know, there's, um, I don't know, <laughs> big questions there. No. I, I think there's a lot of questions. I think Twitter will not want this to go to full-blown trial because of the the reasons I mentioned. They don't want to go underneath the covers. And from what I understand, I could be wrong, but the judge that is in this case has made a ruling before for some sort of a, a buyout or a merger case or something like that. And I, I believe the judge did order them in one case, like, hey, uh, go right? work this out and buy the business, you know? So yeah, I don't merge. know. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to hear your prediction, okay? Do so you I... think... <laughs> go ahead. Do you think, do you think this is going to happen? No, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. And just because of the monetary value, right, I do think there is a big gap on the share price from when the deal first started, right? And now when the merger, the merger and the acquisition will happen. And there is a 28% decrease on that value. And I don't think that will be worth going forward with, um, you know, this deal from an Elon Musk perspective. I actually, could, but you know, could, can't you argue that because of what Elon Musk has done with the company publicly, the buyout criticism, bots, blah, 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 that that's the reason that the price has devalued? I mean, yes, you can look at it that way. You can look at it that way. Uh, so, what, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> uh, I think he buys it. I think, and I could be totally wrong, but I do think that he ends up closing on the deal. I think potentially at a lower price. I don't know if much lower, but I would say at least you know, couple a billion less. What was it? Uh, Forty-four point two billion, two. I believe. Right. 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 I, I kind of have it in the back of my head that they'll probably land 35 to $37 billion in that range. Uh, who knows? Maybe $34.2 billion. <laughs> uh, bring it down $10 billion more. I mean, I, I don't know, but I think, um, I, I think a buyout might happen. We shall see. <laughs> Definitely, we shall. We shall see in October. Around the corner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's time. Uh, we have a special guest that has been uh, waiting to come in here, listening to the whole show, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So as promised, you know, we are having a special guest interview and uh, he's going to be discussing the three topics of the day that we just digested, the recession, inflation and all the drama with Elon Musk and Twitter. So 
Who do we have? Mr. Scott Jennings. Scott is the chief revenue officer at Santage Corp, where he is focused on driving company revenue growth and is responsible for new business and customer account management. Scott brings over 20 years experience in global technology and software organizations where he has held sales management and senior management roles. So Scott, Welcome to the show. So glad to have you on. You, my friend, you just became shark bait. Yeah, David, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the show and uh, very timely given that it's Shark Week, I think, on Discovery Channel. Oh, so what, what are there the odds? you go. What are the odds? See, everything lines up in harmony. So the first question we ask every single guest on this show is basically, tell us about you, Scott. Well, I mean, I just read your bio, but tell us really, in a nutshell, what makes Scott, Scott? Yeah, no, good question. Tough question. Tougher than you think. Um, but yeah, uh, Northeast guy, you know, have had the, uh, the benefit, like you said, of, of working uh, for over 20 years um, in the software space. And, and really what I take from that is all the different organizations I've been able to work with. Um, and you just, you learn a lot from every single person there. Um, so yeah, just like to take that. And I think really interesting topics today, excited to lend, you know, some personal views to them along as, uh, along with kind of the, uh, the word on the street I hear in my role as CRO here at Vintage. So yeah, excited to jump into it. Hi, Scott. Hey, hey. Thanks for having <laughs> quite, me. Quite, quite a, not, not a long time, right? Um, glad to have you here. Um, so we talked about recession, right? We talked about inflation, which, you know, ties in with all of this, you know, whole recession we're in and, um, you know, the government printing money and trying raising inter high, you know, interest rates and trying to control, um, you know, this type of recession. And then we also talked um, about Elon Musk and um, Twitter, right, which is kind of the hot topic in tech going on right now um, on top of, you know, the, the economy. So what are your thoughts on um, recession? Where do you want to start, actually? What, yeah, where, well, where do you want to start? What is this? Let's let's start with the topic you just you just covered. Um, it's it's the one maybe that I know kind of the least about, but the the Elon Musk and and Twitter deal. I know that that you and Dave each gave your point. <clears throat> Look, my thought on it is, for forty four billion dollars, um, if he doesn't want it to happen, I, I just don't see it happening. Right? I, I you see a lot of deals that make a lot of sense on the surface. You see a lot of deals where both parties want it to happen and they still fall through. I think if he's adamant that he doesn't want it to happen, I just don't see how that is 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 done. I do agree with David that if he's posturing for a better deal, maybe something yeah. happens. But I think at the end of the day, if he doesn't want to do it, you know, maybe in October, yeah, something is ruled against him. But he's got deep pockets, and I just see it being dragged out in courts for a while, and maybe ultimately he loses interest and, and goes from there. So well, and then to, your, to your point, Scott. I mean, if this thing keeps dragging and dragging and dragging, I mean, the share price is just going to go down and down and down, right? And also think about if he goes through with it, um, kind of the plan that he wants to do with Twitter, right? He wants to make it private. How is that possible? I mean, the algorithms first do not work. There's so much. He wants to, you know, turn it into an open source, and it's just I just can't see it how. 
you know, the deal can go on and then, okay, the deal goes on, then what is the future? Like, I just can't see the future with him and Twitter besides just having an unlimited, you know, user data that he can control and make an impact overall in, uh, you know, the stock market or just kind of the economy, right? Because we've seen that one of his tweets goes out, the Twitter, whatever it is, we see a huge decrease or increase as a matter of Tesla stock markets, right? Um, on the stock market. So I don't know. Um, I think we have two no's here and then one yes. So I think we'll, we'll see how that goes. Any interesting points about the whole deal here? I David. <laughs> well, hey, I'm back. Yeah. So I think I just end with this. You know, it's interesting that it, I think of Elon Musk and I think of him with his time at, you know, at, at PayPal, SpaceX, Boring Company, Tesla, to me, what these all have in common is these are these are like the first of their kind, next gen kind of future changing technologies. He's always been five and 10 years in the future. And Twitter to me is a little bit incongruous in that it's it's old school. Um, as you mentioned, yes. it's, it's not a leading tech platform. And I, you haven't seen him execute a play where he's taken something old and made it cool again. He's always and about the next it. big thing. and when I think of Twitter, I don't think of the next big thing. I think of the thing that was cool 10 years ago. And now there's a lot more interesting platforms out there. So I just don't see so it, here, but I'm not Elon Musk. So you're right. 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 right, right. I get you, Scott. <laughs> Here's a question for you in that regards. Okay. Maybe he can't make Twitter cool again, but I've heard arguments that it's about the user data and things like that that actually have value for Elon. And that's a potential reason why he would also be interested in Twitter. It's possible. I mean, maybe he's seeing one and one equals three and he's seeing around a corner that that, that we don't see yet. Um, for you know. DHS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so who knows? Well, I think, if, I think, I mean, who knows what his plans are in the future, right? Maybe it's related to people's consciousness. And maybe, I mean, tr Twitter is Neural the link. most conscious public, you know, place where you people literally post whatever is on their mind. That's their consciousness. So maybe there is some other mm -hmm. future projects that he can use all of this data to get there. I don't know. Like Scott said, he always looks at the next gen, next greatest tech big thing. Um, and I just, again, with Twitter, I don't see how that, how that is the next big thing because it is at the bottom right now. It's a hot, messy potato of the internet, as they call it. <laughs> so how about this? Just to kind of throw some Huber in here, should we show the picture of the shirt, shirtless, uh, Elon Musk on the beach? No, 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, I do not hey. want to see that again. <laughs> I was going to say, no, thank you. <laughs> so... Scott, you are, you know, again, as we said during the introduction, you are focused on driving company revenue, company growth, all that stuff, uh, which is cool because myself and I, I would say that it probably feels the same way. We feel like we're partners for, you know, when I go out and I sell Vision 33 and I'm selling ERP, I'm like, hey, I'm just not here to sell you a software, implement it, get you live and shake your hand like, hey, good luck. See you then. No, this is a growth partnership. We're here to help you grow, right. to be your trusted advisor, to get your business to the next level with different automations. So that way your people don't have to fill out spreadsheets. They're, they're actually driving revenue, driving growth. Now, we've talked about the recession. We've talked about inflation. 
being that you have that growth background that you you think kind of like Odata and me in a lot of these areas, how I mean, what kind of correlation are you seeing with company revenue growth and the current economic situation? Yeah, I think it's a really a really interesting topic for me, although maybe it seems a little dry at the outset because you know, Sentage is focused on a couple things that I think give a unique perspective. One is, you know, we work with the Office of Finance, you know, the Office of the CFO. So people that are paid to look into the future, right? That they're paid to see that. Right. Um, secondly, you know, we work with with SMB in mid market, so they're you know uniquely positioned where a lot of these decisions they don't have the benefit of a lot of time. They don't have huge committees. They don't necessarily have um, huge volumes of data that they're able to pull in, affecting their business from international operations and things like that. They need to make quick decisions and a wrong decision is a matter right. of, of life and death. So I think that's really interesting. And then, so from that perspective, you know, how do you look at growth? I would look at it from two perspectives. One is certainly from our, our customer perspective. Um, and then second from our own. And I think the more interesting one is, is the customer perspective because, you know, when I look at this recession, what's interesting to me, and I think you used the term technical recession earlier, is, mm -hmm. you know, when you work with, with the Office of Finance, but you work across a multitude of industries, um, everybody's impacted a little bit differently and everybody's impacted at a different point in time. And just a, a simple thing like a, a fiscal year, right? If you have an organization that's um, wrapping up their financial year at the end of December, you know, December 31st, 2022, they'll have some amount of data they'll be able to use to, to make a decision. The recession will hit them mid-year. Uh, if you're a nonprofit or an organization that tends to have a March 31st or July 1st fiscal, uh, we just started. So they may not see a negative right. impact right. on their overall financials for another 12 months. And so their impact on spending and things that they would see directly impact them, you know, might be might be drawn out. So I think it's interesting to me. I, I have been, you know, in this role back to the, the 2000 to 2002 recession that Odetta spoke about, as well as the, the 2008 and I think it's different just because a lot of it, David, you, you referred to it. There's a lot of pent up demand from the uh, from the pandemic that has uh, maybe just released a lot of money into the system at once, a lot of uh, exacerbated a lot of the challenges. But I don't know that people are willing to accept that they see a recession. And I think until it smacks them in the face, they're looking at ways to grow their organizations and, and, and make decisions both personally. Odetta spoke about some of that um, yeah. as well as for their organizations. And yeah, so I, I don't see it. Um, Certainly, everybody is looking to automate, you know, maybe low value tasks. Everybody's prepared to do, do more with less. Um, but I think it's more of a preparation than a scramble the jets, take immediate action, you know, hiring freezes, maybe. Um, layoffs well, if you remember sectors, when I was it's, speaking. It's not global. Yeah. If you remember when I was speaking, just interject there in that one point is because uh, May again was the biggest tech layoff, uh, most rescinded offers that has, I believe, ever happened. Now, you're, I mean, you're talking tens of thousands, like twenty, thirty thousand. I mean, that's overall it's small to the greater economy, but still, it was significant that the tech industry has never seen that or experienced that to this level, especially with all the rescinded offers going out. I mean, every day you go through newsfeed, you can find five different offers like, or five different articles. Oh, 
I just quit my job and was supposed to start a new job tomorrow. And they just rescinded the offer with a, a you know, a hiring freeze. I'm seeing yeah. that more and more frequently. Yeah. I see. I, I think that maybe is unique to the tech industry because I, I think what, okay. what drove a lot of the tech growth was, you know, free or, or very inexpensive and really seemingly endless capital. And I think a lot of those organizations, right. private equity firms and VC firms pulled back. So a lot of those organizations that were growing maybe without real prospects of revenue soon and knew that they had to take another round um, before they would see profitability and then that capital is gone, maybe moved into a very much a, a self-preservation mode. But those same types of, of uh, drivers of, of private equity money and VC money don't, you know, don't necessarily drive out into, again, a nonprofit sector or education or some sort of you know niche manufacturer that's got a great customer base. So I think that, again, that is maybe a canary in a coal mine, but maybe limited just to the okay. tech space. And they, you know, they'll flame out spectacularly because of some of those um, endless supplies of capital. But it, I don't think that that impacts everybody. And, and that's necessarily the precursor to mass layoffs and, and things. There's still so much, so much unemployment. I don't, I don't see how that how that right, yeah, one quick follow up. Super high, right? yeah, yeah. And, and then I'll toss it over to data. Cause I know she's chomping at the bit to ask some questions, but, um, with that, that, okay. So tech industry. Okay. I get that. Maybe. So what you're saying is you think that's just, you know, kind of more maybe isolated for that specific industry that it's not happening across like manufacturing distribution, you know, or some of those other sectors in the States. Yes. Agreed. I, you know, I, I think B2B organizations that maybe sell to tech are, are immediately impacted. Right. I think B2B right. organizations that have maybe a more diverse uh, customer base with respect to size, industry or geography, maybe are better suited and B2C. Yeah. I think it very much depends on what niche you're in, um, to, you know, to, to see the impact of that. But yeah, I, I think that that spectacular, uh, flame out and, and some of those, you know, scare stories in the media are probably limited to the sec the tech sector yeah. uh, in the short term. Scott, yeah, so Scott, what do you think about the whole, you know, retail industry happening right now? I mean, the big dogs, Target and Walmart, um, you know, like Target, for example, they own about, what, 70% of $24 trillion, um, I guess, um, in the retail space. You know, they're, they're kind of projecting and they're saying that, hey, you know, it's going to be a recession because, one, we're seeing weakening shoppers. Shoppers are not are not spending money anymore, right, because of all the reasons that we just said. Um, and, um, and, two, they're, they're seeing it of, you know, very high inventory right now uh, that they want to get rid of, but they have no leverage or they can't do anything with the pricing, right? So what are your thoughts on that um, as far as the retail industry goes? I, I think it's a real challenge, right? And I, I think that while you may have your head in the sand and have some, some pent-up um, desire to go out and spend and spend freely and kind of, you know, put the last two, two and a half years aside, um, David, you mentioned it, you know, the the $20 steak and the $6 a gallon in gas and increased rent mm -hmm. or, or increased um, mortgage payments. Ultimately there's only, you know, the, the pie is only so big and those rates, you know, everybody's not getting a 10% raise just because. So I do think that that starts to force people to make some, some difficult decisions. And I think it probably takes time to, to flow through, right. I'm not an economist, but certainly from my own perspective, like, you know, 
at some point, you know, folks in different different income levels will stop spending money, you know, first at Target, and then it will flow through to, to other folks as well. But yeah, if you're if you're spending a hundred a hundred extra dollars a week in gas uh, because you're now going back to the office, um, and your rent has gone up or your mortgage has gone up, and and, and everything you buy yeah. has gone up, that doesn't leave a lot to go buy a PlayStation or a new TV or as many clothes if you can find a playstation five or an xbox which talking about inventory you brought up an interesting topic i like that direction that you went because this was sitting on my mind that i wanted to ask as well too you know i, I think i read the article and i think almost every news station out there probably published the article as well too uh that companies are basically giving you a refund and letting you keep the used items because it costs too much to ship them to you know be resold as used in asia or something like that like how true is that is that is that legit like what's going on there that just amazes <laughs> me and fascinates me because i'm like well should i go out and buy a new fridge and then try to return it and see if they get to keep it or what? Yeah. Yes. So uh, I have two answers to that. So, you know, one is, you know, I, I, I think that the global supply chain challenges are interesting because I think that the supply chain is, is way more complicated um, than, than most people realize. I think it's way more complicated. It was, you know, than, than 30 years ago. But I think to me, you know, one of the big reasons in, in terms of why this will take a bit of time to, to sort itself out, and I know there's a super chat question around this, is um, there are a lot of companies making money because of this, and they're not necessarily inclined to make it happen any faster. Um, you know, car companies are getting premiums for vehicles. Huh. Yes, they're, they're, they're struggling with chip shortages, but, you know, they're certainly making, making some, uh, some money on the side. David, your specific point. Um, I had an air conditioner. I had some window units and one broke, <laughs> one broke this morning and I called the company and they said, you know what, we're not going to pay to ship it back. Uh, keep it and we'll just refund your money. So yes, I think I, I don't have wow. the answer, but I have a real life example of situations where due to challenges in, in, you know, in shipping and freight and moving an item from, from point A to point B, um, then yeah, it's, uh, it's expensive and I think it's cheaper for them even for a $400 item like an so air conditioner to just say, keep it. And you know, this yeah. one's on us. Um, and it, yeah. it's indicative yeah. of maybe, maybe a, a disposable, you know, consumption society where things are really meant to just not, not be passed on and you use it. And in a few years, you know, you, you're on to the next it's one. Down. You yeah. know, that's one thing that I, okay. So a lot of viewers that watch my show consistently know I lived in Mexico for 15 years, lived in Peru for nearly a year. Um, then I lived in California, which, you know, is like its own place altogether anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was in Mexico, everything you buy is essentially, you know, used i mean a lot of people like it was very 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 common to just buy used items you know it wasn't like frowned upon or looked down upon i mean it was just the way things are and i think it's because of how their tax system is down there you know there was a high at least there used to be i don't know in the last three four years if changes have been made but traditionally tariffs on items from places like china 
would be extremely, extremely high to wear like Levi jeans, for example. Levi's, which you can buy at 20, 22 bucks, used to at least, uh, at Walmart. You know, you go down to a place like Tijuana or Mexico City, and you're looking at 60 to 80 bucks for the same jeans just because of the tariffs. So if they were made in the USA, they would have been covered by NAFTA at the time, which is now USMCA. But you know, a lot of people ended up buying secondhand used, and that just how people live down there normally. We're not as used to that, I think, in this country. I mean, yeah, maybe with a garage sale here or there and you pick up something that you kind of wanted, but you're like, eh, I don't want to buy one news. Oh, here's one used cheap, you know, and you grab it. But, you know, unless it's something like guitars, which I do buy used uh, because I'm a collector, you know, we're a society, I think, in the U.S. that buys their things new, and we don't, I mean, buy their things brand new. We don't buy things as used as uh, uh, many other cultures do. Yeah, agree, agree. And, um, you know, I, I did spend some time in, in two of the places you mentioned, uh, Mexico and Peru. One of the things that jumped out to me just in driving around was the number of uh, used tire shops. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. Hundred thousand miles. Those things are just getting broken in and, and, and everything, you know, had had multiple shelf lives. And I think it just makes you appreciate, um, you know, a, how valuable those those items are. And, and to your point, also how expensive mm -hmm. it would be to, to bring in that new from other countries where you do have you know tariffs and, and things. And um, when I lived down there, I never bought new tires. That's an excellent point. I've never bought new tires 15 plus years living, working in Mexico because it was, why would I buy new tires when I can get all but new tires for 20 bucks, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I come well, up here and it's like almost impossible to find used tires, you know? It's like yeah. everybody wants to sell the new tires. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same thing with Albania. You know, I grew up where we, we didn't buy brand new, you know, stuff um, most of the time. You know, you got the secondhand stores, like you said, or pile of clothes. I remember we used to have digging through what we needed to that came from us actually so it's interesting to see all of the you know the, the changes that are happening with this you know your ac scott it's very interesting or the fridge right um maybe there'll be a culture shift there a little bit yeah 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 that's great stuff that's why I love these conversations, because you never know where they're going. We're talking about used tires and uh, free air conditioners. So recession, long of the short story is how long do you think we're going to be in this uncertainty? What's your, your prediction? Do you think that it will, you know, by the end of this year, things will short and, you know, it'll get better? Do you think... It's just supply's got to catch up to the to the demand, and things will start to level out. I mean, really condense it as far as what your future prediction is. I, I think it. I think the uncertainty goes certainly through next year. I think it's. I think it's directly impacting again different different industries and different elements of the economy at different points. But I, I read an article, and one thing that was interesting is is the factors that have gone into kind of where we are. You know, one is energy prices. Um, exacerbated by mm -hmm. you know a war in Ukraine, um, you know the yeah. the yield curve makes fiscal policy difficult to implement, and that only impacts kind of a narrow element of of you know the 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 challenges that we face with the inflation. Um, the layoff piece is real, 
right? And I think we'll I think we'll get a real flavor this week. I mean, I looked at the market today; it was sort of it was sort of uh, didn't do much. I think a lot of it is uh, looking to see if if some of the big earnings announcements this week already factor in, you know, a, a slowing down of the economy. So I think that all those will take time to sort out. Again, the supply chain won't happen overnight. I think fiscal policy addresses a small part of it. Uh, I think supply chain issues, you know, are long. I think, um, you know, so so all of these things to me mean that we'll have uncertainty. I see through through next year. I just don't see how it all resolves itself in a way that everybody feels good about the future. You know, across all those elements: housing, stocks, um, you know, wages, um, you know, supply chain issues, energy prices. Those are going to take time, and I, I see, I see that going certainly in the next year. I see eighteen months before we maybe see the other side. Yeah, I mean, if you look out, um, it looks like uh, over well, at least this year, uh, looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we kind of bottomed out like middle of June. Since then, it has been going. Slowly Slow. back up. Now we're not close to the thirty-six, thirty-seven thousand ish that it was at the beginning of the year, but uh, you know you can start to see over the last maybe five, six weeks that it's starting to trend a little bit more up. Some down dates, but it's it's slowly trending up. So that could be a positive indicator, I think. What do you think of data? <laughs> Well, you know, like Scott said, and like I said earlier, looking at some of the, you know, the GDP numbers and kind of the other metrics on, you know, um, sales and personal income and all of this, you know, I do think that um, the recession is definitely going to hit, you know, beginning of 2023. And I think it's going to last um, at about 18, I think maybe a little bit longer, 24 months, um, you know, going into the 2024 year. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's kind of, you know, where I'm at with this whole recession thing. Um, looking at some of these numbers and what most of the economists say out there. And, you know, there's so many different opinions, right? But um, I guess we'll find out very soon, right? <laughs> and, you know, one of my biggest yeah. things, too, is how long can, um, you know, the Federal, Federal Reserve keep increasing this, you know, this rates and uh, without having to disturb the economy, right? Uh, what are you all's thought on that? I mean, how long can this keep going on? Well, I brought it up about I mean, the housing market. Right, right, right. So it's, you know, how long? Um, is can can we keep doing this? I guess until it fully hits. So <laughs> I, I think that's the one thing that that worries me is the interest rate increases and how they increase it. But then, as I mentioned, on the other hand, I mean, if it cools the hot housing market, like I don't want any market to to cool down. The issue that we have with housing is again supply and demand. There's not enough supply for the demand, or you have major corporations that are buying up all these housing spaces. They try to uh, flip them, and it, it's really making housing prices unattainable. I mean, we had to move just in April. Three and a half years living in the same house, never any issues. What happened? Well, the owner decided that instead of selling the house to us in 2025, 2026, when the plan was uh, that he would reap his ROI, oh, with this market, he can get the ROI now. So uh, go get a house. You have the June to get it. And here I am. You know, we had to downsize and move because there's not many 
houses that are available for five people. So it, it was, well, it's personally hit us pretty hard. Yeah. Cause there's a high demand and there's not enough houses really out there, especially yeah, with the yeah. high growing numbers of millennials looking to, you know, rent and move into the city and all of that stuff. And I look at what's mm -hmm. happening in Austin, right? I mean, it's crazy. People are just moving out. Taxes are going up. I mean, you can, it's not affordable. And I mean, you can't, a brand new uh, first, first buyer, home buyer cannot even get a house literally. No. Um, so yeah. So it's become a little bit rough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Rough. Definitely. So we have uh, one super chat here. I promised that we would go through set of the, the super chats. First off, uh, I want to give a shout out to champ gaming. Uh, he had said featuring a data pine. That's amazing. Champ is someone who watches a lot of our episodes. So uh, thank you, Champ, for tuning in. Thanks for your comment. I'm sure Adeta really appreciated that. Uh, Courtney Cobb, y'all are doing great. Uh, Pumpkin Squad, who is my daughter, but she said hi. <laughs> so uh, my daughter said hi. hi <laughs> So uh, we have a super chat from Raquel saying, do you think with all the supply chain issues that things will get worse before they get better in regards to inflation? I know that you kind of touched on this a little bit, Scott, but do you want to give a, uh, another quick answer? I think it gets worse. I think that there's... Um Right now, there's there's money to be made from the way the supply chain works out for the status quo, and in, until organizations either you know change their manufacturing locations or you know look to to, to come up with kind of a, a new way to bring goods to market, um, you know I think I think organizations will slow roll it and uh, you know get get every you know reap what what the current situation affords them before they're kind of yeah, forced to revert yeah. back to, to right. what it used to be and and it will take time to bring new new goods to market you know through alternate supply chains so i see it getting worse before it gets right better. right right understood especially and, uh, especially uh, with everything that's happening okay. globally you know i think it's definitely going to get worse before it gets any better for sure until oh, certain decisions oh, yeah. are made I agree with uh, both of your takes. I think it definitely ends up getting worse before it gets better again. You know, I think there are some companies that are taking advantage of it, but I also think that there's some that really aren't. It's just like, hey, our prices have gone up. We've had to pay more for, you know, the CPI increase and cost of living increases to employees. And therefore, we have to charge more. It's not that you're trying to really take advantage of customers. It's more they're trying to maintain their existing profit margins as much as they can because otherwise they can't grow, they can't expand, they can't do the endeavors that they were looking to do uh, pre, you know, pre-pandemic or pre-recession, pre-inflation, all of that stuff. Um, then we just had one last uh, comment down here from uh, Leti Porto Carrero saying, "Interesting." So I think that's a that's a wrap as far as the super chats go for today. Oh, oh I did miss. I, I think I missed one right here from uh, Relaxing Sounds saying she has so much <laughs> knowledge. Hats off. 
I assume that's for you, Adeta. Thank you, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying my best. You know, I don't know at all, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> I'm learning uh, every day, but especially from you guys uh, as well, who are the experts. Yep. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. Can you please tell us how can people digitally, and now notice I'm saying digitally, okay, how can people digitally stalk you? Where can they find out more info about you, more info about your company? I think LinkedIn is the best way. Yeah, not Twitter. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. No Twitter until we make a decision. I can see what's going to happen. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. The uh, best thing is to, to connect via LinkedIn and, and chat that way. That's, that's the best way to do it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on. Really grateful that you came on, that you joined us on our first ever Shark Bite Biz Live. And uh, I got to get you on at some point to do a full episode. I'm honored. Yeah. I'll come back anytime. Thanks, <laughs> David. Thanks, Odetta. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, yep. David. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Well, not yeah. I've got to close <laughs> out the episode right here. here real quick. So went through the shoot. So basically, I mean, yeah, that is a wrap. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed this special edition of Shark Bite Biz Live. We did top out at about four four hundred seventy-seven concurrent viewers. So that was really really awesome. Thank you every single person out there who joined the show please let us know in the comments did you like the show did you like the format this is a pilot of something that the data i mean have been pretty much workshopping for the last three or four months so we just figured hey let's do it let's pilot it let's see if this actual live stream works this is the recipe that we came up with would love to get your feedback and uh, again a special shout out to the sponsors of the show, of both G7 Tech Services. Uh, please tell us where can people find your uh, company at? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn, as Scott, LinkedIn, as Scott said, is the best way to you know get in touch with me, as well as check out our website www.g7techservices.com, and uh, please you know either chat with us or uh, reach out. Uh, my email is odetta at g7techservices.com for any inquiries that you might have, and you know any questions on how do you take um, your company and your business to the next level using the most innovative and well set up technology out there. Yeah. Thank you for having uh, me, David. It was so much uh, fun to do this together, and uh, I am looking forward to uh, to the next, um, you know, kind of episode to see what we can do there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're definitely going to keep, keep this moving on. And uh, again, shout out to Vision Thirty Three again for helping make this possible as well. Vision Thirty Three All those small businesses out there that need an ERP. If you make or move the product. We have SAP, Business One, Business by Design. Uh, or if you just need a financial service, we have our Sage Intact Business Line. Either way, we have the technology to help you automate all your business processes. As well as one last shout out to deadhousecoffee.com. Remember, use code 25NOW and you'll get 25% off your purchase of fresh roasted coffee this week only okay i'll see you all next week with our regularly scheduled podcast episode and you all already know this 
by now because the names are on the screen. But I'm David Strasser. She's a data pilot. And you just watch Shark Bite <laughs> Biz Live. See you next week with our normal episode. Cheers. Bye, guys. Thank you for being here.